0: Welcome to Indiana Ag Shop Talk. I'm your host, Tanner Coulter. On the show, we bring industry experts to provide value and improve your farm operation each and every episode. Today, we're gonna jump into the topic of land values and rent values and kind of the trends we've seen in the past couple years and what we see going forward. Today, we've got a great guest with me. We've got here Howard Halderman. He is the president of Halderman Real Estate and Farm Management. He received his Ag Econ degree from Purdue University before joining. Alderman Real Estate in 1988. The company started by his grandfather, so he's the third generation. Mm -hmm. Started back in 1930, and uh, you guys are operating in 19 states. 19 states. Yeah, we go from North Carolina all the way out to California. Awesome. So welcome, Howard. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Tanner. Appreciate the opportunity to be on. Absolutely. So jumping into a little bit for people that don't know you, kind of tell them where you're from. Kind of, I mentioned you went to Purdue. How did you decide
1: you were going to get back in the family business, or is it just kind of known forever that you're gonna have to come back and work. Not necessarily, no, I, I grew up in Wabash, yeah. uh, which is where our main office headquarters are still located today. And so obviously knew the business well, grew yeah. up around it. Dad was uh, president of the company. I, I never met my grandfather. He died in 1964, I was born in 1966. Okay. So the patriarch I never met. However, my grandmother had a major influence uh, yeah. on my brother and I, uh, and she lived to be 93. So we knew her very well in fact she was still doing the books at the company in 1980 at 80 years of age Uh, so uh, there was a lot of history there and uh, when i came out of high school in 1984 uh, knew i wanted to go to purdue and study agriculture and it was really uh, open at that point in time whether or not to come back to the family business Uh, dad always wanted us to follow our passion uh, do what we love to do Love agriculture, been around mm. it all my life, and, and Wabash is a pretty rural community. Yeah. So, it was a great fit to go to Purdue, and as the years went by, uh, we had a retirement within the Halderman Companies. A guy named Art Heist had worked alongside my grandfather and then okay. my dad for decades doing the real estate side of the business. Okay. And he retired in 1984, so dad kind of held a position in the main office open for me Yeah. Uh, for just to see what I would decide to do. So, that was... You know, really, the causation of why I came back to the the companies, okay. there there was an opening there. I did interview other companies. I had an offer to go work in Cincinnati with Procter and Gamble, but okay. uh, really felt that the the time was right, the calling was right to to come back to the family business at that point, and so you know. Got started there uh, and and worked on a collection of various individual uh, responsibilities, projects Dad wanted to get done, (laughs) but a lot of it was uh, riding around with many of our staff around the state and learning what I could about Indiana agriculture, a lot of different nuances, different areas, different soils, and different crops. And so it was a lot of education early on and really getting experience around the state. And uh, so that's kind of how it's all started. Awesome,
0: yeah. That I was actually getting into my next question kind of a little bit of um, what all does Alderman do? For those that don't know or don't see it in detail, what all service services you guys offer and kind of who your typical clients are.
1: Sure, so we kind of look at it as a three-legged stool, Tanner. Yeah. Uh, started in 1930 in farm management. So what is farm management? That is property management. Uh, you can see that done in multifamily housing. You can see it done in strip centers. We do it for farms. And so if somebody inherits a farm, grew up on a farm, and they, they suddenly inherit that property a few years down the road, and they're working in Indianapolis, and they say, oh gosh, I really want to keep the farm, I grew up there, Yeah, I have a, an affinity for it, I love that property, uh, but I don't know what current rent should be, I don't understand these USDA farm programs, how is it that I could you know, keep the farm, but keep the terms up to date, and make sure that we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. And that's where Holdren comes in. So we can take over the management of that property, become their fiduciary, negotiate leases, find tenants if necessary, navigate the USDA programs. If carbon credits are starting to become a bigger issue, take advantage of that. Um, So we we basically make it an asset of their portfolio that they can have hands off, much like their stock portfolio or life insurance would be. They don't manage that day to day. And so we can do that for their farm and provide them financial reports and, and pay all the bills and, and really make it a very seamless asset for them to own and something that they enjoy owning and don't yeah. really have the burdens associated there with. So that's one leg of the stool is that property management or farm management service. We also do real estate brokerage and so a lot of people will see us more often there yeah. than what they do on the farm management side because that's a little more retail. Uh, you'll see ads in the farm papers, you'll see signs on properties, you'll see our website and, and a whole host of websites that we push our But typically we're brokering and we do both the sales side as well as the buying side. Yeah. And we have a number of clients that come to us and say, we want to invest X million dollars into farmland, help us find a property that fits or properties that fit and so we, we can help them build the farmland portfolio. So that's really the brokerage, and, and as you might know, on a yeah. brokerage side, we sell farms private treaty, as well as public auction. In and getting into that sure. with your clients, how do you decide which direction you're gonna go? Is that up to the kind of the client, or is it just? That's a great question. Uh, in fact, I was discussing this with one of our area representatives on the way down today. Uh, it is up to the client to some degree, because you have some clients that really have a preference one way or the other. But if they say, hey, we don't care, we just want to maximize sale value, then we're going to look at each individual property and make that determination. Think about it. If you want to go to auction, the most successful auction is one where you get a lot of people that want to compete and buy the same piece of land. So row crop land, wooded land, uh, those kind of assets that a lot of different people could be interested in are perfect for an auction. Now, what really doesn't fit an auction? If you have a property that is overly improved, maybe it has a large confinement swine facility on it, chicken facility, maybe the home on it is really unique and special. Yeah. Those kind of properties, you may say, eh, you know, it might be a little better going a private treaty route where we yeah. set an asking price and then we negotiate because you probably have a more finite number of buyers yeah. at that given time. So you could go to auction and maybe have one person that's super interested in it. But one person doesn't make an auction, and at least so two, right? so you yeah. got at least have two, and, <laughs> and hopefully we have more than that. Yeah. So uh, that's where row crop and woods really, and that's predominant what Indiana is. Yeah, um, really fits well for an auction. Okay, yeah. So that that uh, one last service set that we yeah. do, that yeah. three legged stool. So we've got the farm management, we've got the real estate brokerage. We also do farm appraisals. Okay. We did over a thousand appraisals last year. Oh. You know, think about the refinancing yeah. boom. Uh, lower interest rates and, and people buying farms so we, we do farm appraisals most of those appraisals are for collateral so that wow. would be for a lender uh, to back a loan but a lot of them are also done for estate planning <laughs> so the the patriarch of the, the owner of the farm passes away and you have to have an appraisal for estate valuation yeah. and we do that as well so that's kind of the three-legged stool for us in terms of the businesses uh, that most of our office or guys offer
0: yeah, that's good. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to bring Howard on is they've got over 30 years of experience just himself. I'm um, going to be coming up ninety over 90 years now of experience for the company. Okay, why, yeah. And so I want to bring him on. I know a lot of times you jump into the topic um, with the market value trends. You talk about this WAPI score. Will you kind of get into that sure. and then tell, just to give a background of what that is for people that don't know, and then kind of tell us kind of some of the trends you've seen over the last couple years with land values.
1: So one of the challenges in farmland is that every farm property is unique and different um, but as you think about some of the new online tools and apps that have been developed in the residential marketplace Zillow for example where you can go on to Zillow and you can look up your house and there's a value there yeah now it might or might you know might be right it might not be right um, but In some places, Indianapolis would be a great case, you can go into some neighborhoods in Indianapolis where the homes were all largely built around the same time period and of similar construction, similar uh, covenants. Zillow can probably be pretty accurate because it's taking comparable sales results and estimating a value for that that home. Farmland's really hard to do that with. So the one way that we've been able to look at farm properties and compare one to another is using this weighted average productivity index. And so you can go online and you can uh, go to Surety, uh, for example, and you can map your fields of your farm and it'll take the soil types that exist in that field and it will average the corn productivity for the soil types that exist in your field. And typically you'll see that range anywhere from 100 to 180 bushels per acre in the state Mm -hmm. of Indiana. Yeah. That is not indicative, Tanner, of what it, they'll actually produce this year. Uh, that is just a way to measure and, and you compare farm A to farm B. Because if farm A has 135 bushel productivity index and farm B has 150, that, that 150 is likely a better overall right. farm. Yeah. Now, you have other things that you don't really know about, tile drainage or irrigation, depending on the soils. You know that they, they can change that yeah. but uh, that is a way to compare farm to farm and most of the states in the midwest have some sort of soil ranking uh, now out in iowa they use something called the corn suitability rating and it's a zero to 100 point scale and so if you get into the 80s that's a really good farm yeah uh, that doesn't really have anything to do with production so that doesn't compare on a wapi score so you would not right. want to compare those two things but Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, the states we primarily deal in, all have productivity indexes. And they do it for more crops than corn, but we use the corn um, index most often. And so to get into where are the trends and where we've been, how we use that, that productivity index, we will look at what a farm sells for. And let's say it sells for $8,000 an acre and we'll divide that price per acre by the productivity index. Now, this is on cropland acres. We don't use it for timber, but on cropland acres, you'll divide that by say 150 bushels per acre, and you'll come up with so many dollars per corn bushel of value. And with that, then we can start to apply that on general trends to potential sales down the road. So as you you think about how you might use that score, When we were in 2013, early 2014, which was the all time high of farmland values, the market was trading somewhere around $62 per corn bushel of productivity index. Uh, Since that time, we saw a dip, 15 to 20% decline. And we saw a lot of scores, that whoppy dollars per productivity index in the high 40s. So that 45 to 50 range. Now, what's interesting is when you look at our actual charts, you'll see this high degree of variability, and that's pretty common. Again, farms are very unique. You cannot factor in drainage, you can't factor in reputation when you look at that WAPI score, and those things will wildly influence uh, the actual value, as most most of your listeners know. Um, But where the trend has been is we, we saw that initial drop, 2014, 15, primarily, and then 2016 through really 2020 was a pretty flat time period. And in fact, if you looked at my WAPI trend lines, they were right about $49 per productivity index bushel. And as we got into 2020, between market facilitation payments and the CPAP payments, uh, the subsidies for the, the COVID, combined with pretty good yields across the Eastern Corn Belts and then a rise in commodity prices starting back there in August after the derecho event out in Iowa. We have seen land values really shoot up the last nine months or so, where the Federal Reserve Bank, I think, said Indiana farmland values went up 9% in 2020. Um, we saw our per dollars per WAPI go up to the mid-50s. So that's about a 10% increase. And so our, our range in 2021 on the farms that we've sold is, is now up in back into the mid fifties. Some sales have been above 60. So I think in some locations you might say, we're back to those high values of 2013 and 14. Uh, not quite yet on yeah. the whole market, but getting that way. And especially when you think about corn, you know, hitting $6 on the board the other day um, and, and getting close to back to those 2000, 2013 prices that we saw. For corn and soybeans as well so yeah I anyway that, that's kind of in the trend and we're in a pretty bullish
0: market right now I was gonna say with 10% in farmland values going up like that that score that's big people see their 401k it might, it might be more normal but for farmland
1: yeah you bring up, up to. you bring up the stock market I assume the 401k would, yeah. would largely be heavily invested in the, in the stock market well what was the impact of covid of that and i think most of us that looked at our march 31 a year ago yeah. 401k statement would have been very disappointed because the market really crashed that last two weeks of march when COVID shut everything down and obviously then at the end of the year it looked pretty good yeah in some cases up 20 percent yeah um farmland doesn't mm-hmm. move quite yeah. as volatile as that it tends to be a pretty steady performer and so as we looked at our sales in April of last year, they were steady. You know, if you owned farmland through COVID, you probably saw no movement in the market whatsoever. Now, what was the impact of COVID on the farmland space was that no sales occurred. We went all of May, all of June, and half of July with no auctions. That is the first time in my career, until you go way back into the late, early 90s or late uh, 1980s, where we went multiple months without a sale. Now we were selling some farms privately, but no auctions, and the market just really shut down yeah. and it kind of went silent, and for good reason. People didn't know where things were going to turn out. Yeah. Now as the as the calendar went on in the year and things opened more back up, uh, we saw some farm sales throughout the fall, and that in- indicated that strength in the marketplace and moving up.
0: Yeah, and with the low interest rates and obviously you mentioned the commodity prices coming up. Do you see that trend continuing to go? Where do you see? Yeah, we did
1: some seminars this winter, and I think I'm probably on record uh, in a couple (laughs) of those seminars as pointing out if commodity prices are staying like they are, and honestly, we've been at these higher price levels, very profitable price levels for corn and beans for a number of months now. Uh, I can make the argument that you, I I expect farmland to go up another five to 10% uh, this year. Uh, And in some areas, you might even see a bigger increase in that. just because of the overall demand that's going to be out there. Uh, We talked to a lot of different people on predictions of where commodity prices go, uh, but there's nobody really out there saying that we've hit a peak to where it's gonna be a big crash. Certainly, if we plant a lot of corn acres, let's say 94 million acres of corn gets planted, that's more than expected, and you could see that corn market downturn a little bit from where we are today. But shoot, if it just goes back to 450, that's yeah. still a very profitable price. Yeah. Uh, so, I look at it that pretty optimistically, and nobody's again, nobody's predicting interest rates to jump up super quickly. Well, no, I mean, I'm probably thinking interest rates go up faster than what the Fed is currently saying. And I read the other day that uh, they were predicting, well, we might not do anything with interest rates until 2024. Mm, no, I wouldn't count on that. I think inflation might cause things and the economy might get better than a lot of people think more quickly. Yeah. Um, so we could see interest rates maybe coming up in 2022, yeah. but still that's a year away. Yeah. And uh, at the rate they're at now, it makes farmland a pretty appealing asset. Um, did it make 20% like the 401k plan? No, but it's probably also not gonna go down 20% yeah. in, in any given year. Um, so farmland's a consistent performer. Yeah. It's never gonna be that rock star. Uh, but if you want a, an asset in your portfolio that kind of makes 7% every year, farmland's a good place to be.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, if you were looking at the stock market back in March, I mean, that's, you gotta take some of the bad times like that, where it was down 10% a day yeah. at times when it was first hitting. So, I mean- yeah, farmland, farmland doesn't farmland do that. Is, you get the more <laughs> consistent, which a lot of older farmers, I know they, they like that. So that consistency. So switching over to like the farm management side, are you guys seeing
1: similar trends with land rent values? You, you know, the, the land rent market is a, d- a different animal because that has to be done at certain times of the year, right? Yeah. And, and so a lot of farm cash rents were negotiated in October and November last year. Harvest is ending up. We start to think about the next year. Farmer wants to do some tillage. They want to put on some fertilizer, so they need to know where they're going next year. Yeah. And yeah. so you negotiate a lot of those rents in the fall. Did we see commodity prices as high as they are in January, February, March, back in the fall? We did not. Yeah. So I would suggest, Tanner, that we probably didn't see land rents move up quite as much for 2021 as what we might for 2022. Yeah, kind of uh, catching up. Is that fair? Maybe not, um, but that's probably reality. Yeah. Uh, and now one of the things we do at Halderman is we use a lot of cash flex leases. Okay. So you have this guaranteed floor for the landowner, and then there's a potential for a bonus to be paid in December based upon the yield of the farm times an average price, a local cash price. And that could be, there could be a nice bonus, uh, both on corn and beans paid this fall, which helps reward that landowner for a good year, which this one looks like could be. I say could be because we haven't planted much. <laughs> yeah, but assuming we get a a, a planting crop planted in the next month, uh, I, I think it could be a pretty good outcome. Yeah, and is that those contracts you
0: guys do on the rent side? Is that more to kind of incentivize the landowner to improve the yeah. land a little bit more and stay more yeah. invested? Or
1: oh yes, yeah, definitely. Um, it, what it does is it's more of a real time rent. Um, I developed mine on, on the farms I do in 1997, largely in response to the old freedom to farm. You probably weren't <laughs> in the business back then. Um, but what happened between 95 and 96 was pretty dramatic. Uh, and the rents negotiated in the fall of 95. What we didn't know then was that President Clinton would sign freedom to farm, which was 50 bucks an acre of payments with no requirements combined with corn going well over four dollars for the first time ever. And you took those two dynamics and, and, and so it led to a lot of rent pressure upwards. So how do you mitigate that for a farm tenant? Because you could see that this coming fall. Yeah. Uh, one of the things is this cash flex lease. So you have that base guarantee that is locked in and that tends to be about 90% of what the fixed rent market is in a community. Okay. So it takes some risk off the table, 10% yeah. maybe, for that tenant, so he's paying less of a guarantee. But for doing that and and taking less risk on the front end, he's giving some of his upside. So if the year ends up being a good year in terms of revenue, most of ours are based on revenue, not based on yield or price alone, but the combination of the two. So if it's a good year in terms of revenue, maybe 25 cents of every dollar over a certain number, corn we use $700 an acre a lot of times, So if the gross revenue on that corn acre is more than 700, the landowner maybe gets 25 cents or 33 cents of every dollar over. The tenant is still getting a majority of that dollar, Yeah. uh, but that that extra bonus tends to add a few dollars per acre to that 90% of uh, a rent where it pushes it above. If it's a good year, it pushes it above what that fixed rent would have been. And it's really a more fair way to do it because when that bonus is paid, it tends to be a good year yield and price, and so the tenant can probably afford to pay it. Yeah. If it's not a good year, maybe yields this year aren't real great, and even though the prices are up, um, the revenue's not there. Yeah. And so then the tenant it has the comfort of knowing he only paid ninety percent. Yeah. Okay. So that that's the way a lot of ours work. Now I'm not saying all of ours are at ninety percent and not all of them are at seven hundred dollars. There's no silver bullet, one solution. All of those terms are negotiated on an individual basis. Yeah, and with the fixed rent values, where are you seeing those rates been recently? Well, I, I think the the Purdue survey would say a lot of the average of the best land would be in the high 200s. Um, we heard some 300s, uh, but again. Now, that, you know, that was kind of commonplace in 2011, 12, 13, um, but we're, we're you know, had come off of that and 250 to 275 was a better range. But we're we're seeing some 300s out there again, yeah. um, just with some of the, the higher commodity prices and the potential return. Yeah, and kind of
0: switching gears again, um, with kind of your typical buyers, I know we always hear, as we're setting in here today, we always hear all oh, the investors from Indy, or investors, investors bought land. Kind of who is your typical buyers and kind of what some of those
1: percentages, how do they split out? That's a great question. Uh, I I show a chart in all of our seminars uh, of our actual buyers. And we tend to be, this year, or I should say 2020, our split was 60% farmer. So we quantify that as somebody who is a producing farmer in that community. 60% were farmers and 40% were investors. Now who are these investors? Uh, most of the time, and I would say most of that 40%, probably 80% of the 40%, uh, are going to be what I would call a local investor. So maybe it is somebody from Indianapolis. Maybe it's somebody from Lafayette that has sold highly appreciated real estate, and they're doing yeah. a 1031 exchange. Maybe it's um, a professional in one of those communities that wants to own some farmland around farmland they already own. Yeah, That's the typical investor. Um, now, there are some institutional funds out there that buy farmland. Um, One out of South Bend that we work with often, Series Partners, Uh, that's not an uncommon name in Indiana for the farmland world. Uh, And and they have an interest in buying farmland, so they may be a part of the mix uh, of that buyers as well. Um, But really, it's it's mostly people in your local community. So even though they're qualified as an investor for us, um, they're probably just a local community member that wants to own some farmland. so still keep
0: it in the community yeah, you know, I mean, I think most of the
1: time. And- back to your percentage question, a lot of surveys are done at Iowa State, Illinois, Peru, across the Corn belt, and typically that's a 75 to 80% farmer-buyer number. Yeah. So that 60-40 is lower than normal. So. Um, we The last few years, we've been much higher uh, and closer to 80% in the whole marketplace of farmer-buyers. So I really want to put that out there, that that, that is who your predominant buyer is, is the farmer.
0: And now you have some experience with this, but even some of those outside investors can still be maybe the other farmers or local landowners. That's kind of combined with different funds that are out there. Exactly. Some investment sites as well that just want to diversify
1: the market, so yeah, well, it's getting even smaller. Many times, the ten thirty one exchange investor from Indianapolis or an institutional investor is bringing capital to that marketplace that they're going to rent that farm to a yeah. local farmer. So the income potential is still there in the local community. Yeah, not going to take the taxes away. They're going to pay real estate taxes in that county. They yeah. don't get tax abatements. Yeah. So, you know, look at that. It, it really is not all that bad of an outcome for the, the local farm community to have some of that outside capital from time to yeah. time. It's not
0: like a business where they can jump ship and take it somewhere else. I mean, exactly. Like yeah. That, that them, so. land is going to remain
1: there. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. I mean, those are some of the main topics we wanted to kind of touch on as we close things down a little bit here. Is there anything else you kind of want to touch on? on the real estate side of things for farmers, what are some things maybe we missed?
1: Now, uh, it it could be a very interesting time if you're looking at buying farmland, saying, well, interest rates I can get uh, in the the twos maybe, uh, at least in the mid threes, 3% interest rate. Gosh, that's really low cost money, Tanner, and so I I ought to buy all the land I can. I think it, it behooves every potential purchaser of farmland to look at your overall portfolio. Debt is still debt. And I, I had a farmer just last Thursday out in Kansas point out to me, yeah, the bank still expects to be paid back. Yeah. Uh, and so what we wouldn't want to do is get back to what we saw in the late 1970s where there was a lot of collateral-based lending going on and then all of a sudden interest rates spike way up due to yeah. inflationary concerns. And that borrower is caught with a much higher interest rate than what they anticipated. And the cash flow is not enough to support the loan. So I always encourage anybody that's looking at buying land the question is if you're going to put debt on that land, that's fine. It can be a very good tool, but let's make sure that we have a clear path as to how we're going to pay that mortgage back throughout its entire life, even if interest rates and, and you need to do kind of that, that test, a stress test is if yeah. interest rates go up so much, can I still cash flow this or not? Yeah. So I would, I would recommend that to anybody looking at borrowing money uh, on farmland uh, and typically a lot of our investors go maybe 30% debt to asset ratio, maybe 50, when in a home mortgage that could be 80. Um, so we, we look at a pretty low percentage, um, that way that it certainly can cash flow in and of itself and you don't have to supplement it with other income.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I mean as you already mentioned, maybe in the financial world those interest rates are gonna go up at some point. We're at all time lows. And it just keeps getting lower. It's kinda hard years. to really
1: go yeah. down from here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, you're I, I think that's something just to keep in the back of your yeah. mind. Don't get in trouble there with thinking those are gonna be your payments forever. Yeah, and, and, and if you haven't, definitely refinance your current debt. If you have some five percent interest mortgages, can you refinance them and get a lower locked-in rate? Because that'll enhance your cash flow and protect you. That's a good risk mitigation tool. Yeah. Uh, Howard,
0: uh, how can people reach out to you? How can they find you in the business if they've got questions? Want to learn more from you guys? Pretty
1: simple. Uh, Uh, www.halderman.com, H-A-L-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. So just go to the website. We have an Ask Halderman segment there. You can also find me. Um, the phone number at the main office is 1-800-424-2324. And you can just call in there and Jessica or Molly or whoever answers, will get that phone directed to, if not Pat Karst or me, directed to one of our area representatives in the area where your farm is. And you may, you don't have to identify it any more than, hey, the farm's in St. Joe County, Indiana, and they can get you to the right person from there. So we try to help people out and I tell a lot of folks, uh, you don't pay us anything until we actually do something. So we'll share ideas. Yeah. You don't pay us until we actually execute.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff. So, yeah, reach out to them. We'll put all their information in the show notes as well, so you'll be able to see that here below. Um, and it's, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think it's been some good stuff. Hopefully you guys took... Some great notes. So, thanks again for coming on. Well, thank you, Tanner. Yeah, absolutely. Always always glad to do these type type of things and promote the business of agriculture. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Indian Ag Shop Talk. I'm your host, Tanner Coulter.